Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by She Only Prefers the Roman Noses, Danielle Caroli. How's it going? I'm doing well, though I laugh at this Roman nose thing. Um, There is an experimental in my barn, and she very much does not have a Roman nose. And Oh, we must have switched experimentals because I have one that does. So we- you have the Roman nose parts and I have the other parts. Yeah. yeah. Together we would be probably a standard I think it would still be a mutt though. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> How how's everything going? I feel like we we've been so guest heavy, which is not a bad thing. It's been awesome uh for the, like the last 6 weeks. So we haven't really been able to get intimate with how we're doing. So so how's it going over there? It's going well. Um it's kind of I know I talked about it a little bit, but I'm only right now and it'll change and probably not next episode we record, but the episode after that, I'll probably be singing a different tune. But um, <laughs> I have one milker and two babies, so oh, you must be exhausted. Oh, this is fun. I'm I'm in that phase right now instead of. Uh, Oh my God, I don't know if this shirt is clean and when was the last time I slept and did you, um, did you just read my, my mind? My concealer just isn't working any longer. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I feel you. I, I was in the same boat and now I'm like, Tierney, we need to sell some kids. This is uh this is a lot. Like, you know, and and a lot for me is like minuscule for a lot of people, but uh, between work and, and kidding season, I'm like, oof. I, I saw a post on Facebook this week, and it was like, if you could have eight does and two bucks, or if you could use two bucks from another herd so you keep ten does for your herd, what would you do? I'm like, it is way too far into kidding season for this kind of math equation. <laughs> that goat math, yeah. Oh, though I have to say. I at this point I think I would be eight does and two bucks, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, or maybe same. eight does and two dry yearlings. Yeah, yeah, same. <laughs> so, the uh, bucks are the easy part this time of year. Oh yeah, although mine needs some TLC before the bucks show in a couple weeks, which is creeping on us. Are you itching to shave them? <laughs> not as bad. I'm not going to shave them with a ten if that's what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking of my herd and how they're losing that cashmere and I just want them pretty and they're yeah. fluff balls and the other day it was 70 degrees and my herd was about to all get clipped but I knew that that was not 
the best choice or even really a smart choice at all. So I kept my clippers to doing memory systems, and I think that satisfied my itch a little bit. I have even done that. I have to do that. I'm going to do a couple tonight just because it's Monday afternoon. We're going to take some pictures, get some updated pictures. But um, no, we're just – we're kind of just surviving kidding season right now. We've got one more due in like two weeks. Um, and I do have a funny kidding story that I don't think I told on the podcast. The Minerva story. I don't think I told. No, I don't think you did. Cause I don't even know if I know this story. Oh, uh, uh, you might, uh, maybe. So we have this doe Minerva, two year old, second freshener. Now, um, I induced her and, it was the day before she was induced for, right? So it was like, you know, 20 hours before she was supposed to kid. Right. And I go to work and as I'm pulling out the drive, it's a nice day. So everybody's outside and she's just munching on hay and, and everything's good. And, you know, cause I always stop and look at everybody and I'm like, all right, everybody's good. So I go to work and then I come back for my quote unquote lunch break, dinner break at like 630 seven o'clock mm-hmm. right before dark so i can put everybody in and then go eat dinner and uh there's mary mac who is prone to just escaping the fence because that's what she does but there's yeah. also <laughs> my one doe page who never breaks out i'm like what is going on like so i'm like all right whatever so i, I go walk up to the hay barn and there's Paige just like jumping like crazy acting like a fool i'm like what is your deal so I grab some hay, I put it in the barn, and I just look out at the pasture, and there's Jem and Minerva cleaning off a kid. And I was like, oh boy. So like I get everybody, like start getting everybody in, into the barn so I can kind of just tend to Minerva. Like the kid looked right. fine. She was cleaning it off. So by the time I got everybody in and then I go back out, there's another kid on the ground, but it's got the sack on its head. So oh, I, geez. yeah, yeah. I was, I was like super fat man. Jumping over the fence as fast as I could, like like Mrs. Doubtfire, help is on the way, dear. Help is on the way. And I <laughs> jump the fence, get it cleaned up. I'm like called tyranny as I'm getting like everything free from his mouth. And I'm like, I need towels. And she's like, for what? And I'm like, Minerva's got twins out here. So we get. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, it, it, the fun doesn't stop there, Danielle, because. Oh boy. Yeah. It, we. So we get. Minerva into the barn, get the kids downstairs, get them all cleaned up and in a tote and getting them dried off and tending to them. And I go, okay, Tierney, I'm going to bring some molasses water. I'm going to go milk Minerva and uh, then we'll be good. And she's like, okay. So then I go up to the barn and I got the molasses water, open up the door. There's another kid sitting on the ground. Of course. I'm like, (laughs) what is going on? Minerva's just sitting there cleaning it. Jen's falling in love with all these kids, so she's yelling at me. So I, <laughs> so I bring that down to her, and he's like, another one? And I'm like, another one. So she ended up having two does and one buck, which has been the story of our life this year. Uh, we've had, luckily, a, a, a semi-heavy doe year. Um, yeah, I was going to say, the way you say that doesn't – you don't sound too happy about it, but <laughs> two nose and a buck would be a good one. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm happy. Like, it, less bucks to have to weather, you know, and, and yeah. But, yeah, right. so we got we got that all set. Uh, we had another doe freshen with uh, 
Twindos and then another one with Buckdo Twins. Yeah, no. Buckdo Twins? Yeah. No, Doe Twins. I forget. I don't know. I have seven Doe's and two Bucks. I know You're, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's kidding season. You just stop counting. It's easier. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I did have a, an interesting case, which is starting to turn around for me, but I uh, induced a Doe, which was, she wasn't super early to be induced. She was like, mm, it was like three days early because just the way the schedule worked out. Right. So I like to induce them so that I'm I'm home for it, uh, or at least plan to be Minerva. Yeah, exactly. Just, Best laid yeah, plans. Yeah. So uh, I had a dough freshen, and you know everything was normal, everything's good, and I go to milker, and it's like an eyedropper full of colostrum. I'm like, what? Oof. What is going on, dude? Like, and like be, prior to that, like it looked like she was bagging up fine and everything. So I was like, oh yeah, she's fine. So. So, yeah, so, like, an eyedropper full of colostrum, like, teats are, like, dry teats, right? Just, they're not, they're not the big teats. They're just kind of tiny. And I'm, like, mm. it's been mm, close to a month now. And she's finally starting to produce more. But it's, like, listen, if you're going to slack, you got to go. Like, and, and it stinks. But, you know, culling, culling hard is something that we do here and. She might be the prettiest bodied doe in the barn, but she's not the prettiest uttered. And I've got two daughters, so she's probably going to go to a 4-H home or something. I don't know. Right. Well, and then also, it's not worth your time to put her, you know, even regardless of selling her or keeping her. But if she's up there, she's pretending to milk and she's eating the grain. And is it really worth your time when... You just go squirt, 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 and she's done. So yeah, I mean, she's, now I, she's producing more. Where it's like, if it if it if it was in a different herd, she'd be fine. But in my herd, it's like mm, you're not cutting it, um, right? So she's producing. Mm, I don't know. It it takes me more than just a minute to milk her. I mean, like you said, it was it was literally like ten squirts aside, and that was it, and like not full squirts. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's what it is. Cole hard. Uh, yeah. And you have two daughters and, yeah. you know, if this is where, unfortunately, sometimes, or fortunately, I think the decisions sometimes make themselves mm-hmm. and it makes it so much easier when the decision of who stays, who goes is kind of handed to you instead of seeing two does and going oh my gosh am i selling this one or am i selling this one and really struggling to do so so sometimes it's almost a blessing when something like that happens that you can say okay this is an easy answer today for sure so so we have one left while you're like gearing up (laughs) gearing up for my i well gearing up but then By the end of next weekend or, you know, next weekend, give or take a few days, I'll be halfway over halfway done with my kidding season and then I'll just have two does left. So, um, you know, it's it's just kind of a weird year, right? Knock on wood. It should be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I might be saying I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, in a couple episodes. But right now. It seems manageable. Well, you got a, one fresh doe, and she had twin does for you, so that that's pretty pretty cool. Oh, exactly. And I think 
<laughs> so I think with what, and I, we haven't talked about this cause we had a guest on and, um, but I think all that has happened with her and with my herd in the past couple of weeks has definitely like broken the, um, like, I don't know what the right word is, but it's definitely gotten me ready, I guess. It's prepped <laughs> me. This is like my pre-kidding um, crazy prep. Yeah. Um, and I, my poor goat sitter probably never wants to come to my barn again and take care of my animals. <sighs> but in the meantime, you know, we've kind of started out and we're just keeping going and, you know. It's this is the stress and anxiety prep has definitely, you know, started. And yeah. So I mean, <laughs> I kind of think of it as monster in Monsters Inc. when they had that um board that said, you know, so many days since uh kid incident or whatever it is, I kind of think of it as I need a sign that says how many days since I've it's been how many days since I've called a vet. And I was good. My vets actually were asking what was going on. Where was I? Was everything okay? Because they haven't heard from me, which is good. That's it's good. Like, like you know, like you're paying for their kids' like college tuition when they're like, "Hey, is everything? You still have livestock over there?" Yeah, what's going on with Danielle? It's been quiet. Where are her babies? And what's going on? So. <laughs> Yeah, so they haven't heard from me. It's been great. Nothing's too crazy has been going on. And so, you know, if I had that board, it would say, you know, let's say 100 days or whatever it was. Well, I get on the plane to go away. I get to Puerto Rico where I was for the wedding. And we're sitting by the pool enjoying the... Um, I don't want to say, I don't know. It's the official drink of Puerto Rico, which is <laughs> yeah, coladas. Yeah. And so we, ha- I wasn't even gone for 12 hours and my, the girl who's doing my goats, who's absolutely amazing. I get a call from her. Okay. No big deal. Answer the call. And she's in a panic and it's very clear that she's in a panic. And, my youngest yearling had somehow gotten out and in the process her leg was very clearly broken um it was described to me as it's hanging sideways oh no and so she's kind of telling me that this is going on and obviously i'm on the phone with her and you know i'm saying oh what leg What's going on? Can she put weight on it? Trying to assess just to, for my curiosity more than anything else. And mm. she says, you know, somebody else is coming down to help me. And I said, okay, that's fine. Just call the vet as well because it's very clearly broken. You might as well just get the vet to come out. Like, I trust your assessment enough. Get the vet. Right. But in the meantime, my mother, who came with me on this trip, is sitting at the on the chair next to me. And she's like, what's going on? Just tell her to give her banamine. Just give her banamine. Oh my and God. <laughs> I'm like, mom. And unfortunately, she had no idea. She had, like, I wasn't on speakerphone. She didn't hear the leg is hanging sideways <laughs> or anything like that. But 
I was like, no, we're a little past Banamine at this point. She does need Banamine, but we're a little past Banamine. And so Vet came out, was so clearly broken that he didn't have to do x-rays. But thankfully, the way it broke and the fact that she is a growing yearling we should be okay and it should heal well. So she's in a cast. She'll be in a cast for three weeks and then we're going to take off that cast, replace it, and put a second cast on and she'll keep that cast on for probably another three to four weeks after that. So um, she's doing well. She's running around. She gets grain because she's my smallest kit. She's the smallest yearling and I just wanted to give her a little bit of extra nutrients to keep her growing. And she gets grain on the stand. And originally I was using the stand as a um, kind of bucket holder Mm -hmm. to have it propped up a little bit. And she decides that she just jumps up on the stand and jumps off to eat um, and to get off of it. And so she's doing well and we're hopeful for a good prognosis. Um, and we'll see. Oh, welcome to so the, welcome to was, the broken leg club. I know. I mean, we've had broken legs in the past, but I think this one is probably by far our worst that we've had, um, in a while. So yeah. So the, and then of course, you know, the dough kitted while I was in air and, she actually had quads, um, but we only have two surviving kids, and one animal was a stillborn, and then the other one we had to put down. Um, and it's kind of we were not expecting her to have quads. She she didn't look like she had quads sitting in there at all. No, and that's the thing. So she is, I would say, one of her areas that I would like to improve on her is that she doesn't quite have that width of chest. Um, and then also she doesn't have a lot of width between the ribs. So she is kind when she was carrying those babies, she was carrying them like she was carrying two basketballs on her side. And so she was very much a triangle from, or like a wedge shape triangle from her head to, um, the, the her belly and the issue is that her ribs there's not a lot of width between the ribs so mm-hmm. I don't think she at this time had really had the capacity to care for four kids in utero there just wasn't enough space And so I think one of them got detached, which caught, or the working theory, we're not 100% sure, but the working theory is one of them got detached, which caused her to kid early um, or early-ish. I mean, she was two days before 150, which is pretty, which is early for my herd. And um, so she had three decent size kids but when i say decent size um the two kids that were live and viable were very much preemie babies um they didn't have a lot of physically there was nothing like their teeth were erupted enough um 
but they didn't have a lot of covering as far as just kind of like that extra like fat or chunk. I don't know if that really is the right word to describe it, but um, they were very, they were tiny. I didn't weigh them, but they were tiny, um, especially the one kid. And they acted like preemie babies that we've had in the past. Um, They really weren't active, active um, kids. They would hop around and do all that stuff, but they tired really easy. Um, They would sleep a lot. So we just kind of let them be. And, um, you know, 10 days later, they're doing well and they're growing well. And they look, um, they kind of have that complete look of a baby goat. um, And so I'm really happy with how they're turned out. But I think it was just simply not enough nutrients to go around and not enough space. So, um, you know, but it's, it's, you know, this is kind of what happens. And this is why we bred this doe to that buck so that the the buck would hopefully give these kids some um, body capacity and width throughout. And I think he's definitely done that. So we're moving in the right direction there. And Hopefully she just decides to never have quads again because I don't need quads. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh boy. Well, that's a good kickoff to to kidding season for you. And and it really sounds like you've really had a lot of time to enjoy your vacation. Oh yeah. Definitely did. Now, should we uh jump into some news before we get to our topic? Yes, we should do that. All right. Well, first bit of news is ringside news. Uh, hey, our merch store is live. So that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, where can they, where can they find that, Danielle? It is www.dairygoatpodcast.com slash merch. Uh, and that is where our merch store is. And we have hoodies, t-shirts, um, flippy floppies, flip flops. Um, again, the Crocs are a work in progress. I promise we are putting effort into them um, to try and figure out a way to get some with the ringside to have them added to the ringside um, store. I promise we're trying and we'll keep trying on that front, but they are not available yet. And um, there is a coffee mug or tea mug if you drink tea. People are raving about that mug, by the way. People love that oh, design. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, that's a, it should be cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so everything kind or the T-shirts and the hoodies come in different colors too. And different sizes, well, obviously different sizes, but all sorts of sizes. And um, but if you click on the T-shirt, it'll show you the different colors it comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's dairygoatpodcast.com forward slash merch. So go ahead and check right. that out. Um, now on to some ad good news. Uh, yeah, Guernseys have been approved to be on display at nationals. So I'm really looking forward to that because that means that I don't have to leave two of my dry yearling Guernseys at home. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm like, just like ecstatic for the Guernsey breed. Um, hopefully Guernsey breeders, if you're listening, uh, get there. Let's make sure that we have enough on display. All right. Like we wanted this. Let's make sure that we're holding up our end of the bargain. So, um, and please nobody murder me if I end up having a shaved Guernsey there. 
Right. <laughs> but you have a one of your Guernseys is a shorter yeah. hair doe anyway, correct? Yeah, yeah. She's she's shorter haired, which is why I I clipped her the first time uh last year. The other one's got the real the you know, the floof, right? So she'll be traditionally cut, but uh one of them will be uh cut uh or clipped for you know, as my Oberhasleys would be clipped, so um, right, you know, and I think that's nice to have on display to be able to show. Oh, hey, you can do this or this, and, and look at how they look in comparison. Um, no, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm really excited to see the Guernseys. Me too. Exhibited on display at this national um, platform, and I think that this is a real opportunity for Guernsey breeders to showcase where their breed is what is going on with the breed the um strength of the breed i mean i don't necessarily know if the general public dairy goat population really knows what's out there as far as the guernsey animals so Mm -hmm. if these if your exhibit guernsey breeders are able to bring animals that are you know nice looking quality representations of the breed. I think it'll go a long way for making this breed one of the popular ones at the, you know, as, uh, ad- uh ad- was breed. there was a, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There was a bit of a stutter there. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great opportunity and I just, you know, as long as, it's handled correctly. I think it'll do leaps and bounds for the breed. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, get get some eyes on them. Maybe some people that are considering another breed might be like, "Oh, those Guernseys are pretty sweet." Um, exactly. Moving on, uh, DNA billing. I just want to reiterate, as I've said for months on this show, um, check your accounts because, as we all know, with the town hall meeting they were talking about oh we're doing dna billing right now and it might show that you owe some money but it's going to come off your account within 48 hours that's a direct quote from lance gerlach and uh yeah i am a victim of this and i've waited the 48 hours and i've waited the actually two weeks for it to come off the account and uh yeah it says i owe 56 dollars and I mean, I'm pretty good at math and I'm going through and yeah, I don't owe $56. Everything as far as DNA I've, I've paid for. Right. So uh, I, I put in a, as much as I didn't want to, I put in a support ticket uh, because I have tried for three days now. Well, they were closed yesterday, so I didn't try yesterday. Um, but yeah, I tried for three days to uh, call in and, and get this rectified because obviously it's not going to just come off by magic now. Um, and I refuse to pay for a service that I've already paid for. So yeah, I uh, got to reach in there. I, I, I've tried uh, average time of like an hour to, to get in there before. I'm sorry if I have chores and a daughter and life, right? Um, so right. hopefully I'll be able to get in. Um I tried the whole as soon as they open thing and it didn't work. I guess that trick has been passed on to everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but oh no. no, just everybody check your accounts. Make sure that 
you're not going to be paying for something that you've already paid for. And, and I've asked that question, like, can we make like a statement about this? Because people are going to be paying twice for the service. And I highly doubt that. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I highly doubt they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, you paid us too much money here. Here's your money back, you know. So. Right. Well, they can't do that on the grand scale of, let's say, every one in 10 members had DNA billing and had an error in that. The amount of work to go back and make sure is just such a large scale endeavor that mm-hmm. you just it probably can't happen um, in a realistic manner. Is this preventing you from registering animals? I haven't even tried to register animals because I'm sure it will. Right. Yeah. Because I'm going to go to check out and be like, oh, you need to pay your balance or whatever. Um, right. So I've heard people say that it's caused that. So that's why I haven't even tried. But like I need to get rectified because now I have animals to uh, register. And, you know, some of them are in other herds now. Right. So. Well, but not only that, I mean. And maybe right now it's not an issue and, you know, kind of opening up a can of worms on best practices for shipping kids or, you know, selling kids. And what happens when you have a customer that needs a health certificate to take the animal across state lines, your vet is going to want a stamp duplicate, not just a registration application. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to need at the very minimum, a stamp duplicate of their registration. And this is, I mean, this issue was an issue I faced last year with NG and this DNA issue is kind of probably putting you in the same You know, the DNA billing is putting you in the same boat where you're either going to have to pay this $56 and then fight it later and possibly only get a credit. I mean, and who knows, maybe they'll enact something so they'll actually refund the money. But, you know, to register a kid and get a stamp duplicate if you need, it's just one more step. Yeah. That it's just not. And not a practical situation right now. Right. And, you know, like many other people in the country, uh, it's kidding season. And, and we as farmers are busy, right? Uh, or hobbyists, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call us, right? Uh, we're busy. Like, I, there's nothing I would love to do more than sit on a phone for an hour and a half, two hours. Nothing I'd rather do in my life. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it, it would bring me so much joy. But I just... Because of kidding season, I can't experience that joy. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, let's let's hope that. No, that. listen. It's <laughs> I will kind of. I mean, I know they are working and trying to rectify the situation, right. and there are a million different things going on, and they're working on it. But there are so many reasons why somebody needs to call in. And some of those times, there are time frames that these things need to happen on. And I mean, I'll even kind of go for, and I'll say, like, as a judge, sometimes we get paperwork that we have questions on before the show. And 
sometimes we get that paperwork early. Sometimes we get it pretty much right before we leave for the show. But we're responsible for the receiving a show rule. We're responsible for receiving the show rules. However, there are often times where changes are made or issues are kind of present and you can't just call in and easily get the information corrected or say, hey, can you send me this as an email? I didn't get it the first time. Or there's all these issues that, again, just put stress on the members to do what's supposed to be done correctly. I mean, shipping a kid, part of the reason why we're allowed to have tattoos and not ear tags in our ears right now is because if we're shipping a kid across state lines, that piece of paper, that stamp duplicate with the tattoos on um, or the stamp duplicate stamp duplicate or the registration paper with the tattoo linking that animal to our farm allows us to ship kids without putting ear tags in their ears. Mm-hmm. And if we can't do that, then something happens and the USDA starts getting involved and all of a sudden there's not this paperwork that's supposed to accompany our animals. We run into issues and they may not say that tattoos are acceptable anymore as identification. Exactly. And, you know, you can't fault these breeders because they're trying. They're trying to have animals registered, but I don't know. Okay. It's it's just silly. But what are you going to do? Um Exactly. You know, well, I'll get off my soapbox. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. So, I mean, on the same front, um paper applications for registrations, uh the turnaround is approximately 4 weeks right now. So, if you have a show that's in 6 or 8 weeks, get those in. Um and then also there's a postal ballot uh, to move the youth activities from the end of convention to the beginning of convention, which I applaud. This is this is awesome because I noticed, you know, last year it seemed that like everybody was going home, but youth stuff was still happening. And it's like, who's there to support our youth, right? So I'm really happy to see it. Hopefully it passed. If it's, I think the time frame's up. Maybe it's not. But uh, hopefully it passes. Uh, to be at the beginning of convention so those kids can enjoy all of the various breeders. Right. And I think there's a few other um, cogs in the wheel that are changed, or I don't know what the right metaphor would be on this one, but I think there are a few things going on with convention that they're looking to do in terms of scheduling that I think will be very beneficial for um, membership in general and make a very exciting convention, which is happening in, well, semi our neck of the woods up in Syracuse, New York in October. Um, so it should be a fun week or, you know, a couple of days of goading. Yeah, for sure. Now I want to move on to our topic. We ran super long with that intro. <laughs> I know, sorry, everybody. There was a lot this to catch up with. what happens when we finally get to talk. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so milk testing is our topic. And and I've never done milk test outside of 
a one day test at fair, but Danielle is a tester and knows the ins and outs. Um, we realize many people are in a similar boat as me. Um, so milk tests can kind of seem daunting and expensive. So let's unpack that. How about, how about we begin with the question of why would you be thinking about doing milk testing of any kind? Well, it's all about the data and it really, regardless of which type of milk testing you are doing, um, there are two, when we say milk testing, there are two main kinds of milk tests. There is the one day test, which is also called the official milking competition within um, ADGA. And then there is also the um, milk test done through Dairy Herd Improvement um, or or the Dairy Herd Improvement Registry, which is DHIR. And so both of those tests are slightly different. The process is generally the same, but you are given a glimpse um, of how much your animal is producing within a 24-hour period. It's really like a 24-hour snapshot of your animal. And then also what she is producing, the components of her milk. And for some people, it might not be that big of a deal, but others, um, knowing how much butterfat she's producing um, might explain why your cheese is coming out the way it is or how those kids are growing so fast or why it makes really good ice cream in the summertime. Um, But it just gives you data to influence your decisions um, and your breeding program and also see what your animals are doing. Because I know on my, I use a machine to milk them and I see their mammary systems and I see how full they are. But once those inflations go on, their milk just goes into my bucket. And then I see, okay, I have, you know, seven gallons from nine goats this morning. Um, Right. But I don't know who's producing what, who am I feeding way too much grain? You know, if I, let's say I feed a scoop of grain to everybody and from this dough, I get a gallon and from this dough, I get a half gallon. Well, who's more efficient? The dough that's making this gallon of milk right now. And so you really get to see what your animals are doing um, and use it for whatever purposes you need. I can agree with that. And say someone wants to get into milk testing, how how do you get started in any of it? And, uh, you know, maybe like if it's a monthly test or, or even the one day test. Right. So I think when we had Mark Baden on, he mentioned that, and I think it was a really good um, way to describe it, but a one day test is a really good way of getting your feet wet, I think is what he said. And I couldn't agree more. So the one day test is a test, which you, um, you go through both a milk processing center and ADGA and um, take a test. You weigh your milk for 24 hours. Um, it is something where it can be sponsored by a fair. 
a club or an individual. So you can even just do it on your farm. And the test starts with the milking to empty the does, and then you repeat it every 12 hours. So you're emptying your does, and then you're collecting a sample roughly 12 hours later and 24 hours from that initial um, weigh-in. So then those samples are sent to the lab, and they are analyzed for your butterfat, your protein, and then also um, for the somatic cells that the animal has currently. And so it really just kind of gives you a general idea at that moment in time. But because dairy goats milk on a lactation curve, you're not really getting the full picture. You're getting a snapshot again of that 24 hours. So if you're doing it in July, you can say, okay, well, she freshened in March. Now it's July. She's obviously peaked and we're kind of or potentially she's peaked on her milk production and now we're going more into the decline or, you know, here she is, she's still going up. Um, So it gives you some of the data, but not all of it. And that's where I think the monthly milk testing comes in. Um, And that is where once a month you take samples and weigh the milk of your does or you have a tester weigh the milk of your does and you send it into the lab and they analyze it and then um, put your information into, um, they send it to a dairy records processing center or a DRPC. And through that, they start um, looking at how much milk the dough produces, kind of puts it into the lactation curve and gives you projections on how much your doe would be milking if she was doing a full 305 or if she was doing a, or if she was a mature doe, which a mature doe is 36 months of age and what that expected um, production would be on a full lactation, which like cows for dairy goats, it is 305 days. Right. Yeah. It's, I hope people aren't glazing their eyes aren't glazing over here, folks. Like this is like some this can be some pretty good information we're about to give. Um with monthly milk test, there are a lot of options for testing plans. Um what are the difference between, you know, owner sample or owner sampler, as I always call it, uh <laughs> the where you just do it yourself, uh the group tests like Mark or was it, I think Mark Baden said, you know, back in Ohio, he used to do a big group of going around and, and testing animals. Um, and then there's standard testing. So, so what are the differences in those? Right. So it ultimately comes down to the biggest difference in the test is who is testing for you? Mm-hmm. Who is your test supervisor? So who is weighing the milk and sending the samples to the lab. With that, the other difference is also how um, how your does can earn their milk star, and then also if there is the potential for them to qualify for the top ten. So when looking and trying to consider what plan you want to do and which part of monthly milk testing you want to do, you really have to consider 
first of all, is my dough going to go in the top 10? Is there a potential for the dough to go in the top 10? And there are ways to kind of see roughly what those animals, those top 10 animals are producing. And even if you kind of do a weigh a milk test on your own and see, all right, so she's giving eight pounds of milk right. um, on this lactation. For the most part, eight pounds of milk, a milk test, like eight pounds of milk in a monthly milk test. I don't think there is a breed that that would put her in a top 10 record. It's still a decent amount of milk. She's producing just about a gallon a day, but she's not a top 10 potential. So you kind of have to look and see where you're, where it's going. The other thing is, is it better for your herd to have someone and a different party accountable for the data? So when I'm testing and as a tester, I am the one who is verifying the data and it's kind of my neck on the line for the accuracy here. Mm -hmm. If you are doing an owner sample, you're the one submitting the data. And, um, and so it's one of those things of, is that okay? The data gets evaluated differently when it's an owner sample, um, as well. And I believe, hold on one second. I just want to make sure. Um, ah, where is it? I'm just checking. I want to make sure I have it right, but, um, let's see. So that's, that's what it is. So the data gets evaluated differently. And if you are not going to be able to commit to eight test days, so eight days or eight months of milking roughly, right. and 240 days in milk, all the dough could qualify for would be an ST star, a, a star volume star, which is used slightly differently um, than an AR star, which is an advanced registry star. Right. And so... Hold on. So it's a big time commitment, right? It really <laughs> is. Like it, you have to do eight months. If you if you have a dough that you think is going to make top ten, you, then you, you're going to want to stick on the eight months and, and make sure that you have all those days of milk. Um, but it's a huge time suck, um, which is not a bad thing. I mean, there's people that uh, milk, you know, they do extended lactations where they're milking through, you know, two years on the same lactation, but uh, it's definitely a huge commitment. Now, how many tests uh, did you say to make your data official? So to make the data official, and when I say, so hold on, let me back up. So you can earn, so the ST star, the star volume star, Mm -hmm. Gives you the data, but it does not qualify you to be part of that genetic evaluation. So you are not going to be able to calculate for um, SG or um, top 10. Top, no, not even top 10, not even looking at top 10. If you are an owner sample, your does cannot be a top 10 dough. Right. Even if they have the volume and production, they can't be a top 10 dough. Right. But 
the genetic evaluation, those um, elite animals, all of those calculations, that does not qualify you if you have an ST star. If you have an AR star, which is the advanced registry star, you would need a minimum of eight monthly milk tests and 240 days in milk Mm -hmm. for the dough. You would also need a verification test. So if you're on owner sample, you would have to have somebody else come to the farm for three milkings in that 24-hour period, kind of like that one-day test we talked about a little bit. And they would have to do a verification test between 60 and 150 days or when your herd is between 60 and 150 days in milk as a general. So if you have an outlier, let's say you have a doe kidding really late or a doe really early, but most of them are in this window, that is fine. But you want to have um, them kind of, you know, the majority of your herd in this 60 to 150 day window to um, do that. Right. Now, how many tests do you need to make it official? What do you mean by official? Like to make your data official, like for um, for to have like someone come out and, and do your test so you can make the AR. Oh, okay. So if you are on the standard program is what you're talking right, about. Right. So yeah, so the, there's different variations of it. I'm just going to talk about the DHIR20 okay. um, program. That's what most people u- use. Um there are the guidebook does talk about the other different plans and there might be a plan that works better for your program. Um, and you can actually find all sorts of milk testing information in the guidebook on page 64 of the 2021 edition. But if you are doing a milk test and you're on the standard DHIR 20 plan, your dough in order to earn her milk star, she just needs to meet the minimum number of pounds of milk, pounds of butterfat, or pound, um, or pounds of protein mm-hmm. to qualify. If she is going top 10, you would need a verification test, which would have to be from another supervisor. So you would have to have some a different person from your regular tester come and test for that 24 hour period. And then you would also need a data. It's a DCR, which is, I believe it's the data collection collection rating of 93. And that is something that the analytical programming and um, they have their own calculation. I think it's the C Shoot, is it the CB? I always get this. CBCD. CDCB. Uh, um, they have thing. all this information. When the data gets entered and uploaded, that they can kind of verify that your data is correct and accurate um, without outliers. And so you for a top 10, you would need a verification test and a DCR of 93, which for your standard testing actually equates to roughly eight tests. However, if your dough is going top 10, you're probably going to be milking close to 305 days a year anyway. And you want to have your tests within 45 day increments. 
So you're probably going to be doing a little bit more than eight tests, but um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now let's kind of back up a little bit. I want to sign up for milk test. What are some of the supplies I need for testing? So it depends on your system, mm-hmm. obviously, but and your tester. But the biggest thing you need is you need to create a relationship with your lab. Um, there are labs all over the country. I use Dairy One in the Northeast. Um, I know Langston's another one. Washington has one. There's labs all over. And I would say you want to figure out a, a lab that is close enough so you're not shipping your samples across the country, mm-hmm. um, but then also one you can work with. And I know that there was a time where Langston was going through personnel changes and because they were on their university, there was a bit of um, scheduling as far as summer breaks and winter breaks and who's in the lab and things like that. And I think from what I understand, it's kind of been become a much bigger program again. And so it's not nearly as big of an issue, but it really cause samples to um, take a bit to process or samples couldn't be processed at this time versus um, Dairy One where it's a large company that does it. And so I know I'm. it's also in New York. And so I know that my samples can get there within one or two days. And I typically have the results in a week um, to me. So you have to figure out which lab works right for you. And Um, My recommendation for that is find out um, who's testing in your state and just very quickly send them a message and say, who are you using as your lab for your milk samples Um, and are you happy with them? And they'll tell you, oh, this is who I use or, you know, don't use this company, use this one. So there are places where there are multiple options. Um, so the lab will send you the paperwork and they will also send you vials and um, a styrofoam cooler to ship things back in. You or your tester will also need a scale or if you are milking by machine and have the proper setup, you can do a milk meter as well, which basically it's this giant funnel that the milk goes through if you're in a pipeline setup or um, you're connecting it through your hoses, the milk goes through. Some of it is taken out and used in the calculation for how much milk has been produced by this dough Mm. and then also allows you to get a sample. Um, And then the rest of the milk would go into back into like the bulk tank or the milk pail. Um, but the easiest way I find is weighing the milk on a scale. And scales are actually not that expensive. The one I use, I think I got off of Amazon, and it's just like a hanging digital scale, and it works really well for calculating those weights. And you have to send those in to be verified, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You send them in once a year to be verified, and you – Some people can send them to – there's like wherever you can do a scale certification, it's fine. You would just have to submit the paperwork. Um, But then 
Otherwise, you can send it into that lab and they will do it as well for you. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you just also have to talk to ADGA and sign up so that this way they know to start processing your um, milk records as well for your does. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get this big sheet, right, Mm -hmm. that has all this uh, different words and and it's it's so confusing this it's really not but we're gonna break it down so on that sheet you're gonna see um these graph well not graphs but columns and um top of the column you'll see it says index slash control um what does that mean danielle so that is very simply a number assigned to your animal that she will keep that number Throughout the throughout her whole milking career, oh, okay, and she's just index number one. It's probably for data processing information, an easy way for them to um, just input who it is. Yeah, instead of typing her name every single time. Yeah, exactly. Um, reg number that's registration number through ADCA. Mm-hmm. Um, age, years, and months. So you know, based on their birth date, what their age is, kind of easy there. Uh, mm-hmm. lactation number uh, that would be how many times she's been fresh um, date kitted obvious uh, actual DIM which is days in milk um, so how many days since she's been fresh uh, actual milk what does that mean so actual milk is let me just hold on I just, is the pounds of milk that she has produced on that lactation. Okay. So that'll be the same for actual BF, which is stands for butterfat, um, actual protein, um, and then projected milk. I'm guessing there's some kind of uh, calculation they do from uh, that animal when they kitted to what they'll project based on however many tests they've had. Yes. So that should be um, the considered her mature equivalent okay and that is an estimate of how much she was producing at that her ideal lactation which is three years old or 36 months old gotcha so that'd be the same for projected bf which is butter fat or projected protein mm-hmm. easy enough exactly um now further down the sheet it will show index again um bar name which is just the name you have for your animal uh, or sample number. So I'm guessing if some people don't have maybe like in a dairy setting, they don't have a barn name for them. They just have like the sample number. No. So the sample number is what goes on that tube of the milk. Mm, okay. And so some people do the index number. Some people just, you know, this is the first dough we sampled. She's number one. Um, or it could be this is dough 29 and I'm going to put 29 on her vial. But it basically links that sample to a dough. Gotcha. Easy enough. Uh, mm-hmm. Milking order. And that's just and I don't think that's done, needed for most sheets, but um, oh, okay. that is done particularly for verification of just which number she is in. Gotcha. The milking order. Um pre-WT, which I'm guessing is weight. Right. And so the pre-weight and then there would be weights are 
different areas where um, you would record weights. So pre-weights are usually for um, verification tests. This is that initial test. Mm -hmm. And then the weights, the one through the third, would allow a um, tester to collect weights for up to three milking. So if you were milking three times a day, you could uh, um, okay. account for all three milkings. And then 24-hour production is just however much she made in 24 hours. Right. And then the previous test day is the number for the previous test. Correct, yes. Okay. Now, what information do you get from the monthly reports after you send in all of your uh, tests and, and the sheets? Um, what information do you get back? Oh, my gosh. So much information. <laughs> um, so typically the biggest three or I don't even want to say three. The biggest things that you will get back and you will look at is you will see how much milk the doe is roughly projected to produce, how much she has produced so far, what her butter fat component is, what her protein component is, because again, these are two things you're not physically able to see or calculate yourself. You have to put them, um, they, you have to have them done through the lab. And then you'll also be able to see where she is within her somatic cell count which for anybody that doesn't know, the somatic cell count is basically what's in the milk that's not milk. Um, usually it's white blood cells, but it could also be bits of tissue and um, different things like that. And all milk will have somatic cells. And in general, you want to associate lower numbers with better quality of milk. And better utter health. Better utter health. Disclaimer, though, somatic cell counts for dairy goats are a lot different than dairy cows. So um, kind of a tangent on somatic cell count. But <laughs> a lot of dairies, for cow dairies, are very concerned about the somatic cell count and they will get awards of distinction and quality for really low somatic cell numbers. Oh, yeah. It's a big thing. Right. And it applies to dairy goats as well. However, dairy goats are also – somatic cell counts are very seasonally controlled as well. So towards the end of kidding – or sorry, in, towards the end of their lactation, those numbers are just going to – Tech typically go up seasonally, regardless of, you know, changes in management practices. Everything can basically be the same, but just consistently across the board, dairy goats, their somatic cell counts are more influenced by just the season than a dairy cow. Right. But so like something to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you're looking at those somatic cell counts. But they're also a really good indicator of mastitis, particularly in subclinical cases that there's an infection going on. You're not seeing anything, um, but there's something there. Or it can also spike for injury. Um, or I know I had a doe whose somatic cell was consistently high because of her teat placement. 
that she was constantly hitting that udder and those um, as she was walking and her teats when she was walking. And so it was just causing she we we tested her for mastitis many a time, but it was always coming back clear. And it was just that she had a high somatic cell count because she just the way her udder was positioned and how her teats were placed. And so things like that um, are more for management side of it when you are not producing, um, when you're not commercial, when you're not producing milk for public consumption. Um, If you are a commercial herd, you do have to keep your somatic cell count um, below certain thresholds. But for a person like myself, who is just a hobbyist, those numbers are just more or less monitoring. Is something going, it's just another indicator of something going on. Is she fighting something? And most of the time it would be a mastitis, but sometimes it can, you know, showcase another problem because it is white blood cells. So mm-hmm. white blood cells show up when there is an infection. And so, you know, something to kind of keep an eye on. And you, once you're been milk testing for a few months and then, you know, a few years, you kind of get an idea of where your does are, what their personal baselines are. Um, and then you can kind of figure out when they're spiking and what's going on there. Right. So then the other thing you can get, and I haven't tested with Dairy One this year myself, so I don't haven't gotten this report yet, but um, they should be sending all customers MUN reports as well. Previously, you had to pay additional fees for the MUN numbers, but um, you, I believe... Um, they are now including that in your general report. And so the MUN is a milk urea nitrogen level. And so nitrogen in urea, um, which is found in fluids such as milk and blood, is a result of a breakdown in protein. And anything not absorbed by the body and used um, will be expelled through that milk. And so you can measure it by the DOE's MUN scores. You ideally want them to be low, uh, or no, sorry, you kind of get a baseline, but if they are too low, you should probably increase the protein in your DOE's diet. And then if they are too high, she isn't using all the protein she's being fed. So that protein, that high protein feed you're feeding it's being wasted. Right. So you could potentially be able to switch to a lower protein feed, um, but each dough will have their own baseline, just like those somatic cells. Gotcha. Now, and there's, oh, go ahead. Oops. No, and I was going to say, and there's so much more information on those sheets. There is ratings of which animals are your top producers. There is ways to see... Um, kind of your rolling herd average for um, different things, such as I know that typically my rolling herd average for butterfat production is about 5.1%. My average butterfat production might spike more in the wintertime, but consistently month after month, year after year, my rolling butterfat average is 5.1% or, you know, things like that, that can help you 
down the line. If you're a commercial producer, it kind of helps to tell you what's in your milk. Or if you're getting a milk check, you see the components and um, the price for those components. Um, But then also, you know, just kind of things to know for your herd. I agree. Um, Now, we went over the AR and ST uh, stars, um, but how does a doe earn her star? I know for the ST, um, which is standard test, right? So ST is star volume. Oh, okay. So it's so there's the two stars, and I meant to check on a registration paperwork, um, a registration paper, but I didn't get a chance to before we started recording this. So I typically you will see on a doe's or a buck's registration an animal like kind of in below their their name there'll be like ar 2016 or st 2016 Mm -hmm. and what that is is when the animal qualified for the star so the for ar st is the type of star and then the 2016 is the year so an ar star is a doe that is qualified um for her m levels typically in milk, butter, fat, or protein production. Um, an ST star is a star volume star, and she's either qualified it through a one-day milk test or through right. owner sample she has met the production requirements and has a DCR of, um, which is the data collection rating of 75 plus a verification and appropriate pro- uh appropriate documentation and the last way a doe can earn her star is through her progeny so let's say you have a doe who you didn't milk test her but you have three daughters who have earned a star she can qualify for her own star and then or if she has two sons who have earned their plus B star she can qualify or if she has a combination of one son and two daughters she can qualify for a star 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 I know all we're seeing is stars (laughs) so but what what do the stars mean on on the animals pedigree like further like like I mean obviously you just touched on it but um like what does like 13 star M mean like you see a lot of people say that Right. So a 13 star M means that that doe is the 13th animal in her pedigree who Uh, has milk testing data behind her and has qualified for a star. So the number of stars, so that 13 is the number of generations. So you're not getting a five star milker isn't a doe who has qualified on the five-star level. Mm-hmm. She has just had five generations of animals who have qualified for their M levels um, in milk production right. on to get their milk tests. Time. Yes. Um, now you mentioned the bees for bucks. Oh, yes. Here we go. So, so there's the star bee and then there's the plus bee or right. the plus plus bee. What is with these bees? 
So the bees are for the boys is probably <laughs> or the box, probably the easiest way to remember it. And basically these are used to track the milk production of a box pedigree. So I like um but not necessarily like pedigree in the general terms. Right. However, I like to kind of break it down and remember it as a star B. So it's like the star, like an asterisk star and then a B is given to a buck for his pedigree or his ancestry. So from his, there, there's qualifications, but basically from his mother and father or his mother and his father's mother. Right. So it's like inheriting money from from your relatives, you know, or from your your grandparents, but like really you you didn't do anything to earn it yet. Right, exactly. You are as Lady Gaga says, you are born this way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then the plus B is through his progeny. So this is the one where um he earns it from daughters on test or sons on test. Mm-hmm. So to earn a plus B, he would need either um, three daughters who have earned their AR star from three different dams. So you can't just have a buck hat bred a doe and she had triplet does and all three of those does have earned their star. You need to have three different dams. So this way you can get the data that it's not the dam who's contributing to the star. It's the buck. Um, or you can have a plus B from a buck that has two different sons who have, sorry, two different advanced registry sons who have earned their qualifications as advanced registry sires. So what that means is he has two sons whose daughters have produced or I, it could be sons too, but he has two sons, two different sons that have produced the milk records qualify, you know, through their offspring have produced the milk records quali- that qualify him. So he could earn a plus B through that. Um, or it can be a combination to get that first plus B. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Okay. You broke it down so now well when you see the plus plus B, that means he has gotten one plus from his daughters and one plus from his sons. Right. So that's like, that's pretty much what you'd be shooting for, right? Because you want to show that that. Right. Exactly. In a perfect world, you have a buck whose daughters have milked well, and then you have a buck who his sons have gone on and produced um, strong milking daughters as well. And so that milk is carrying through. All right. Well, that's that's easy. It's not as complicated as some might think it is. Um, I kind of want to kind of want to back off a little bit here and and just say, you know, what is a verification test? Because people are like, oh, I need a a verification milk tester uh, for a verification test and blah, blah, blah. Um, But they're kind of confused on what or who that is. So what is that all about? So quite simply, A verification test is three consecutive supervised milkings or that official milking competition, um, which 
data-wise is the same thing equivalent, um, though that one-day milk test could earn stars, and there's a whole we can we'll touch on that really quickly afterward in a little bit. But um, it's basically having somebody other than your normal tester come and test for three um, consecutive consecutive supervised milkings. And then if you have Nigerian dwarfs, you do need to have the height recorded um, during that verification test as well. Um, if I don't know how this is going to go moving forward. Um, but if you do have a height that has been done within the lactation year by a linear um, appraiser, you can use that as well um, for that height record for your verification test. But you will, you can just also have your supervisor come and um, take that measurement. Okay. Now, is there such a thing as? Say I want to be on milk test, but I hem it in hard. Is is there such a thing as too late? Or I mean, gosh, is it like, oh, this doe kitted two days ago, and let's get on test. You know, we have milk test coming up. Um, is there's such a thing as like too late and too early? So it depends. So there's definitely too early. Um, you don't want to test a doe before less than five days after she is freshened. The milk is too much colostrum. It's not going to um, be something that they can collect the information on. Plus, she's still kind of coming back after kidding. If you are looking to start a milk test and you're after 90 days, um, you can still collect the data and you can still milk your does and get this data, figure out how much she's producing if it's after 90 days from when she freshened, you're just not going to get that a genetic evaluation that you would get um, if you started pretty early into her lactation. Right. And then you want to make sure between tests you stay within about a 45-day range um, and that you don't go beyond that because then that just messes up with the data where um, – how they plot your lactation curve and different things like that and what the predictability is. So you kind of want to stick in that 45-day range Ooh, between tests. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, here's my question. Is it all worth it, right? I mean, seems like it's a lot of time. Seems like it's a lot of effort. Seems like it's just a lot of extra on top of an already busy kidding season milking season show season so so is it really worth it and and are there benefits to it so i think it's worth it Mm -hmm. um i have granted my herd is small and so you know the once a month really isn't that big of a deal for me time-wise commitment um and it's one of those things that it gives you the records to back up what you're saying. Um, your, if I'm saying this dough produces a gallon a day, I'm not just saying that because I milked her into a bucket and then I poured it 
um, into a jar and said, okay, there's the, you know, there's the gallon a day. I know that there is 8.1, I think milk is 8.125 pounds or something is a gallon. And I know she produced 8.9 pounds. And so she's over a gallon a day. I can see when a doe is having subclinical mastitis issues, um, that might be something that I want to manage in my herd and um, something that you can potentially catch early. Plus, I think if your does are milking it, they should receive the recognition for their milk. And this is ultimately the way to do that. And so that is kind of why I think it's the most important. I, as a breeder, I'm milking my does. I know, I can kind of know what they're producing, but it's, you know, I can say, oh yeah, they milk a lot. But no, now I can say this doe just milked a um, 3,000 pound lactation. Um, There's just the more of the qualitative parts of it. And then for that marketing standpoint, depending on who you're marketing to, it is worth it. Whether you're selling to a small micro dairy who needs to increase their butter fat, you might say, okay, I have a buck whose offspring are, you know, producing 5% or higher consistently on test um, on that butter fat. Or I need protein because that's where my milk, um, that's where I get extra money on my milk check from. Well, here's, um, here's a dough that's consistently producing this, um, protein and, you know, just different things like that. Well, I also think that, uh, having it be official, you know, milk tests and results, uh, when you go to sell an animal, and you say, oh, it comes from great, great milk lines. And someone goes, uh, well, what's great milk lines? You're not saying, oh, well, mil- milk's 10 gallons every every day. Uh, and they're like, oh, cool. So you're on test? That's a, that's an incredible weight. Oh, uh, no, no, it's not not on test. I just I just use my eyeballs. Uh, you know, you got those numbers and, and that officialness to it where you can back up what you're saying. Right. And then the other thing is you can see, is this doe an improvement on her dam? Right. It, you know, is this coming from, let's say you have a buck and he has four doe, four, um, you know, four does in your herd. Is this doe getting it from her dam or is she potentially getting it from her sire? And is the sire worth pursuing or is the, you know, is he not helping you in the milk pail? And it's, you know, it's his fault your production's down versus, um, you know, anybody or what your first freshener should do that you're comfortable with. After collecting data year in, year out, you kind of go, okay, yes, this dough may only be producing four pounds of milk as a first freshener, but she had a single and I know consistently in my herd that this year is kind of a wash for her. So I'm going to let her have this four pound lactation. And I know that next year she's very easily going to be milking 10 pounds. You just, you kind of, it's another breeding tool that you can use in your tool belt to make decisions on how to influence your program. Yeah, no, I agree. That's perfect. Um, 
Is there anything else we wanted to touch on before we end this awesome topic? I, I mean, there's we can still there's the other things we could break down, but I feel like at this point we'll just have everybody listening having eyes glazed over, and uh, <laughs> this will be I just like I just as I was taking notes for this, I'm like stars, A R S T. It just yeah. I would just say the biggest thing is take your time, read the guidebook. The guidebook has a lot of information on how it's broken down when you're looking to start milk testing mm-hmm. and. Um, and also if I can be a resource to anybody, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to kind of walk you through it. Um, and what things mean. Yeah. I mean, embarrassingly enough, I just don't do milk tests. I don't have the time for it or the patience or the extra money to really just throw at that as well. Right. I got to kind of focus with my program with, with, you know, one thing at a time. Um, so it'll come, but not right, right. now. And yeah, I just I just think it's it's a lot of information. I mean, I learned a lot in this episode. I was probably pretty quiet. Everybody's like, man, John's really quiet. But it's just I was learning as well, right? Um, okay. So really, I think people that are looking to getting into milk test or maybe are milk testing and just don't know what somatic cell, somatic cell counts are and everything else um, could really pull a lot away from this. No, and it's really, there's a lot of information. It's not that scary. It's once you sign up, I I personally feel the scariest or the most difficult part is signing up, filling out the forms. And then after that, it's as simple as milking a dough for on a regular test period twice, collecting her weights, collecting the sample and sending it off. And that's all you have to do in a nutshell. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess that's a good spot to wrap it up. Uh, we were going to attach, uh, Nate's feedback segment on this week, but it seems like we ran a little bit long. Uh, so we'll hold that off until the next topic. Um, as always, I mean, like we really appreciate anybody that would like to give us some feedback, either if that's, uh, through just messaging us or commenting on our posts on Facebook or Instagram or if you go on to all those po- lovely podcast services that you guys use and leaving a review and, and you know, giving us a rating, that, that really helps us out as, as a podcast. We get to learn a little bit of what we're doing right or wrong and also just kind of help support the podcast. Um, and then you guys can always go to uh, the Ringside website as well, find all your merch. And yeah, Danielle, did you want to add anything before I wrap her up? No, I think that's it. Cool. All right, everybody. Well, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.